0: So there was a a TV series that ran from 1955 to 1960. I never saw a current episode, obviously. It was called uh, The Millionaire. A gentleman by the name of John Beersford Tipton Jr., who was described in the opening uh, monologue as being fabulously rich, was the benefactor... And he decided he wanted to see, I mean the show came about because he decided he wanted to see what people would do if they suddenly became wealthy. So every week for 206 episodes, he would give a person a check for $1 million. And actually it cost him more than 206 Million dollars because he paid the taxes on that check so that that person got one million free and clear. And just in case you're wondering, one million in the late 1950s is the equivalent of nine point one four million dollars today. So, have you ever thought about what you would do if someone just walked up to you and handed you a check for nine point one four million dollars? Probably nobody actually had, you know, 9.14 million uh, figure in their head. But, you know, uh, uh, I'll bet a bunch of us in here have thought about what we would do if we suddenly had a boatload of money like that. You know, maybe it you know, came from winning the lottery or Ed McMahon showed up at your door, you know, with a big check from Publishers or or some nameless, long-lost relative that you'd never heard of left you all this money and in their in their will. And now you've got to decide, what am I going to do with all this money? I, I, I don't know. Am I the only one who does that? Raise your hand if you've ever toyed with that idea, played with that a bit. Okay, maybe a few of us in here. We've done that. I've talked to several other people who have shared with me their thoughts on what they would do. And you know what is consistent with, with myself and with everybody I've talked to? In our... In our fantasies with imaginary money, none of us are selfish. You know that? I mean, sure, there's a few things that we would buy for ourselves. You know, pay off the mortgage on the house or maybe buy a house and a little piece of property, a, a car, or something like that. But, but the vast majority of the money, you know, we'd only spend a fraction on ourselves. Uh, the rest, we would give away. We would underwrite the, the building campaign for Camp Helawasa, Oh, and have everything it needs. Or, or the expansion of the church. I mean, that would all be taken care of. Uh, maybe there'd be some Christian um, um, uh, work projects. Some outreach events that you know are being effective in spreading the gospel. Yes, I'd support those. Or some some Christian work projects that kind of combine the sharing of, of helping people in need and spreading the gospel. Like these uh, organizations that are working to bring fresh clean drinking water, digging wells in these remote villages in these poor countries and, and providing this clean water for them, but at the same time sharing the gospel or, or, or providing goats and chickens and, and things like that through Compassion International to help families feed themselves and have some income and, and, and do things like that. It would be. Or here's one of the favorites, anonymously helping people in need. You know, now, Wouldn't that be fun to have the finances to be able to do that? And I discovered for myself, that with copious amounts of imaginary money, I'm a very generous and giving guy. (laughs) But so far, neither John Beersford Tipton Jr. or Ed McMahon or anybody else has walked up to me and given me $9.14 million to test that out on. So a more important question for me and for the rest of us does the Bible have anything to say about what we actually do have financially versus the big bucks we don't have? And obviously, it does. So hopefully you've turned with me uh, to Second Corinthians. Uh, we are beginning chapter 8 this morning. Follow along as I read just the first two verses of chapter 8. It says, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Father God, again, we just thank you for a great morning together, an opportunity to worship in so many ways. And we pray now as we look at your word, you again would be our teacher, would meet us where we need we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So I, I know I've mentioned before here that my favorite method of preaching is what they call expository preaching. Basically, that means I like to take a book of the Bible and start in chapter 1, verse 1, and just work all the way through that book. And you do that with book after book in the Bible, and uh, that way you preach Everything the Bible says, I mean there's a number of different reasons why I prefer that, but one of the big reasons is it forces you to cover whatever topic comes up next and and, and if you're, if you're covering whatever topic comes up next, nobody can come up and accuse me and say, You preached that on purpose uh, against me or against you know this sort of type of thing and I said, well, maybe no, I didn't, maybe God did you know because hey. It's just what comes up next. Uh, And and so I like it that way because preachers, you know, uh, we have a tendency to have our favorite themes and pet issues that we would prefer to focus on. And preachers also have subjects that they would prefer to avoid, maybe because they're difficult uh, or um, controversial or perhaps they're just unpopular and out of uh, favor in our current culture. And therefore, by preaching straight through a book of the Bible, I can't skip anything that I might prefer not bringing up, and I don't get stuck preaching just my favorite topics week after week after week. Because someday, like every other Christian, I'm assuming, someday I want to be able to stand before God and hear the words, well done, good and faithful slave. And as a preacher, part of what that means for me is that I would have consistently taught all of the Word of God, not just the easy, enjoyable, or popular sections. And I can't think of too many topics, too many subjects that are more sensitive and probably less enjoyable to tackle as a minister than the issue of money and giving people have a tendency to get their dander up whenever you start talking about their pocketbook and then there's also the issue that there's been so much abuse in christian realm by ministries preachers that that's just seems to be their total focus in fact if you talk to people outside the church what's the problem with the church one of the issues that will frequently come up is all they care about is money. All they want is your money. They're always asking for your money. And, and that's all there is. And unfortunately, there is some truth in that because there are too many preachers and ministries that are preoccupied with money. Whether, they, whether they're just... Um, Misguided leaders using questionable fundraising techniques to try to do something that they believe in or or they're write-out hucksters who use these slick campaigns to siphon off large donations from often very poor or needy people themselves padding the pockets of fraudulent leaders. And because of those problems and there's issues, I know there are some pastors that they really won't preach about money. They think, oh, it's better just to kind of avoid that altogether until some drastic need comes up in the church, right? And then they have to have it, and then they preach a whole series of sermons on money, and that can kind of leave a bad taste in people's mouths because they know it was just tied to one particular need. How much better I think it is to teach what the Bible says about money and says about giving as it comes up in Scripture, not tied to a particular need uh it's just part of faithful Christian living. I mean God gave us teachings on finances and and on uh, monies because every Christian and every church and every individual needs to know and understand god's will when it comes to such a practical thing as finances and giving and God is uh supposed to be. Um, and number one in all we do. And, and giving is supposed to be an integral part of the Christian's life. And it's not a matter of duty or obligation. It's actually, as we look at Scripture, an act of love and worship. And we'll see that as we work through this passage. Uh, the, the section we come to in, in 2 Corinthians now is the largest single passage or teaching on giving in the entire Bible. And it encompasses all of these next two chapters. And as such, we are only going to get started on it this morning. And even though it's a big section, it leaves a whole lot about money unsaid because it really is focused on one small part, one small area of Christian and finances. And that's this particular issue of giving. But, as we get started in that i 'll just remind you very, very quickly uh, that there are other passages in the Bible that uh, that teach us some basic facts about money, and we should keep uh, at least these basic facts in mind as we start looking at giving, uh, for instance, the fact that uh, as a Christian, we know that all that we have comes from God and belongs to god that 's a basic teaching of the scripture: all we have comes from God. And belongs to God. Therefore, we are called to be careful or good stewards of whatever finances or monies we have. And and a steward is someone who is assigned to be in charge and be responsible for monies that belong to someone else. Okay, that's, that's what a steward is. So this money belongs to God, but but we're the ones that are in charge of it. We have to be uh, responsible for that. And part of being a good steward then means being wise and understanding what the Bible teaches about earning money, saving money, investing, and spending money, right? And all of those topics are covered in other passages in the Bible. But it also means... Being a good steward also means knowing what God says about giving money. And that's what this passage of Scripture is all about. And and, and Paul uh, begins this teaching with an appeal to generosity. That's that's how he begins chapter 8, an appeal to generosity. And he gives two main examples to motivate us as Christians in that direction of generosity. And, And the first example he gives is that of other believers. Uh, look again at the verses we read at the beginning. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy, their deep poverty, overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. The, the, the Roman province of Macedonia was uh, located up in what's the northern part of modern-day Greece. And it was an incredibly poor region of the Roman Empire in those days. It had been ravaged by a number of different wars and then completely plundered by the Romans and never really recovered economically. But in spite of that, uh, the churches there in Macedonia, which would include uh, Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea, they were filled with amazingly generous believers. Uh, we know that Philippi uh, financially supported the Apostle Paul on, on a, as a missionary on a regular ongoing basis. But more than that, uh, we're indicated here that they wanted to be part of giving towards this special fund that Paul was collecting for the poor Christians in, in the church in Jerusalem. And, and we don't have time this morning to get into it, but the Jerusalem church, the believers there, uh, for a number of different reasons, uh, were in, in really bad shape. And and we're living uh, on just the deep edge of poverty. And and so uh, Paul was taking up a collection uh, on his missionary journeys to bring back to Jerusalem for the believers there. And, And look at how he describes these Macedonians who themselves were living in what he calls deep poverty. He says, For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. So the first part of the example is simply these guys gave. That's it. It says they gave of their own accord, which means they were not cajoled, they were not pressured, they were not commanded, they were not manipulated through various guilt techniques uh, to give. It was their own choice. They gave even though they weren't rich. They gave, even though they had valid excuses not to give. They had their own survival to worry about. They were living themselves below the poverty line. Paul, again, he used that phrase, deep poverty. That's where they were. And yet, it says that they begged him. Not just begged him, begged him with much urging, it says, for the favor of participating in this. So, to me, that implies that the Apostle Paul had perhaps first told them or encouraged them not to bother giving, right? Hey, you guys, you know, hey, you're in a really tough situation yourself. Uh, you're barely making it, uh, you know, uh, you're, you're living day to day. You, you, you don't worry about it, uh, giving. And they said, what? Come on, please, let us be part of this. We want to give. Can you you believe that? that? That's what was going on in that church. They saw giving as a privilege and as a part of worship. It was a favor, the word that was used, to be able to give. And you know what? That's a very biblical perspective on giving. Did you know that there's only one quote from Jesus Christ outside of the Gospels? One direct quote from him outside of the Gospels? It occurs in the book of Acts when Paul was teaching uh, the Ephesian elders there and he told them, In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner you must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus that he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Even though they were very poor, and had very little in, times, uh, in terms of financial resources, these Macedonian Christians did not want to be denied the blessing of giving. It's, it's, it's blessed to give. It's, there's a blessing in giving is what Jesus is saying. So Paul says, yeah, I, I can't deny that to you. We are blessed when we bless others, the receiver. And look at the measure of their giving according to verse 3. It says that they gave according to their ability and beyond their ability. Now, uh, giving according to your ability means that they gave based on, on what they normally had available. And it might be a very meager sum uh, that they gave, but but God isn't concerned with the amount. It, he, he doesn't care wh- what the the actual figure is. He, he's concerned about the heart that desires to worship Him through giving. So they gave according to their ability. But then it says they also gave beyond their ability. What does that mean? That does not mean that they you know, went out and begged, borrowed and stole uh, extra money to, so they could give that to the church. That would not be something that God would be pleased with or, or approve of. What it simply means is that they gave sacrificially. In other words, this wasn't giving from their leftover extra money. Okay? Got the bills covered, which God, again, other parts of Scripture tell us, pay your bills. That's part of uh, Christian responsibility with finances. Uh, they got the bills covered. They, they got these things, thinking, oh, we got a little extra money. Okay, we'll give that to God. Hey, that's giving according to your ability. When you're giving beyond your ability, it means sacrificially giving. Here's our budget. This is money we would normally spend on ourselves. This is money that we could use ourselves. But we're going to choose to cut back, maybe to go without whatever this need is, so that we can give. That's sacrificial giving. That's giving beyond your ability. And then look what verse 5, Paul says about that in verse 5. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. You catch what that's saying there? This type of sacrificial giving, it's not the norm. It's not necessarily an every week thing. It was unexpected, especially from people who had so little but it is what they chose to do for this special project that was going on, this fundraising effort. And that choosing came out of the fact that they had first given themselves to God. And that's what I mean when I say this is an act of worship. They gave the, this is not just talking about they became a Christian, they gave themselves to God. That He's, he's talking to Christians, right? These are people who had been uh, Christians. This means that they're just wholly devoting themselves to, to loving, serving, and, and pleasing God in their life. And out of that relationship with God, that wholehearted devotion to God, that worship of God with my life, this, this sacrificial giving just overflowed out of that. It's an act of worship. And I think that becomes even more evident when you look at verse 7. But just as you abound in everything, in faith in utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. So we know, you know, that faith and love and the Bible knowledge, teaching and, and sharing all that, that's all part of worship and Christian living, right? And Paul says giving fits, comes right alongside all those other virtues. It's this act of worship and love in the Christian life. Again, if you choose to put something in an offering plate or to give towards a special project, that's not mere obligation or duty that you're fulfilling. It's worship. As much as singing your praises, as much as sharing in communion, it's worship. And Paul used uh, that, that heart and that attitude displayed in the Macedonians as an example to motivate those Corinthians who lived in a much more prosperous and economically vital area to have that that heart of generosity that pours itself out in the worship of giving. But he also used a second and an even more powerful example. Look at verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. It's a very simple point he's making. Since Jesus gave so generously for our benefit, cannot we be generous for the benefit of others? Think of how rich Jesus was. As God the Son, creator uh, of everything, he owned everything, right? But, but the focus, I don't think, here is really upon material wealth, uh, but the spiritual rest, uh, riches. I mean, think of the, the, his glory as his position in heaven uh, of, of God the Son, of his eternal attributes. Uh, all that he needed uh, uh, was his. He had everything. He was living in in peace and and contentment and relationship with God the Father in perfect love. Uh, But he gave up the glories of heaven and took on the poverty of human flesh so that he could make us spiritually rich. As Paul described it in the book of Ephesians, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with what? A few things? every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We are rich because Jesus sacrificially gave himself. His giving is defined by, uh, as grace giving, right? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And remember back in verse 1, I want to share with you the grace of the Macedonian. This is all about grace. God's grace. One, one commentator uh, I read put it this way. He said, it's grace, quote, because his self-giving was motivated by unmerited, spontaneous kindness to undeserving sinners stemming from pure and uninfluenced, uninfluenced love. That, that's grace giving. And that's the example that the Apostle Paul is holding up to motivate us towards generous, sacrificial grace-giving in our own lives. Now, as I said, we're, we're just getting into these passages. So this is just kind of the foundation. This is how Paul started his teaching. There's going to be more in future weeks. But to wrap it up for today, this message really all boils down to this. We give because God gave us so much. We give because it's an act of worship towards the Savior whom we love, who displayed His love by sacrificially giving to us. We give because it's a privilege to be able to give. And we give because we not only bless others, but are blessed ourselves in giving. Let's pray.